I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly brought to you in association with Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Well, we're on the run-in. All of the chatter, the hype, the writings, the sightings, the fist bumps and article bumps of the last four years will culminate in one 80-minute showdown this Saturday morning. Air New Zealand are running their mouths with cringy ads on social media. Ewan McKenna is running his mouth about the hacker in the Kiwi media. And it sits you both here in Dublin and over there in Japan. We are shaking like ferns with a mixture of angst and excitement at the prospect of what very much feels like a date with destiny, but could yet transpire to be just another one and done for Ireland in the World Cup knockout stages. Gavin Casey here in studio back home and joining me for our big Ireland All Blacks preview is Andy Dunn. How are you, Andy? Very well, thanks, Gav. Great. And fresh off the Mickey Mouse Express over in Tokyo, Murray Kinsella joins us on the line. Murray, how's things? Yeah, all good. Enjoying being in Disneyland, essentially, alongside it. Don't get to go in and try out the rides, but uh, Ireland are staying out here, and I believe a lot of the players were in there yesterday, um, so they had a bit of fun, but it's now time for the serious business. Yeah, anything but Mickey Mouse stuff this Saturday. Oh, that's bad, but I'm going to leave it in. (laughs) The teams have been named this morning, gentlemen. Uh, Andy, your reaction to that Ireland team? Uh, Well, there's no no surprises. Um, And I think Joe is a probably a conservative selector when it comes, really comes down to being, you know, a crucial moment in in Irish rugby history I didn't think he was going to take big risks um the ones the risks he he could have taken were the inclusion of Peter O'Mahony versus I think Ty Byrne or Ruddock probably both of whom are actually playing better than O'Mahony in my opinion um but there's also history loyalty um experience leadership all those things that that come into the mix um so um but I'm 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 sure he's gonna put a bit of a squeeze on O'Mahony for an improved performance. Uh he you know, the last time we played the All Blacks, he had a couple of memorable standout moments this time eleven months ago. Um but his his overall performance level I think has probably been under par for a consistent period of time, a bit on a, a bit hot and cold more cold than hot and a bit like Conor Murray has been over consistently over a period of time um, and maybe Sexton to a lesser extent who all all had a poor 2018 by their by their own standards uh, or 2019 by their own standards. So um, that's probably the, the, the one to me that was, was a potential outlier in terms of selection. Um, and then the other area I think which could be crucial is the scrum. And I think while our, our front row probably picks itself, certainly the two starting props, uh, Kilcoyne has been huge in, in as an impact player. Um, Porter is a concern for me because I think he's played less than five times for Leinster as a tight head. And I think if we want to go after the all-black scrum, we I think we should have picked John Ryan um, to just try and hammer home whatever advantage Furlong might be able to gain, bring on John Ryan, he's a better scrummaging tight head. Um so yeah, I think I think we've 
I mean that I, I didn't expect him to pick John Ryan. He he you know there's a there's a trend to his selections and it, there was no suggestion he would. But I just think we're missing a little bit of a trick there. I know Schmidt name checked uh, Mike Cron I think three times in the in the select in the uh, press conference for the team announcement. And there's no doubt there's a behind the scenes a battle going on around the scrum. The the All Blacks came into the World Cup not picking own Franks, picking more mobile props and, and I think with a view to playing getting through the World Cup without having to overly be dominant in the scrum, maybe to get parity in the scrum. Similarly they've got a well respected coach in Mike Cron and they've got that um they've got that all blacks aura with referees that they absolutely know they have, they're aware they have, and they use to the nth degree to try and get in a referee's head in the week of a game during a match. You see countless times an all black scrum not getting penalized for uh infringements. So I'm sure Schmidt is is I would imagine they're trying to get in into the referee's ear, whether it's in public or not. They're trying to uh, get into the referee's ear about the scrum because uh, it's a key feature. The All Blacks look very vulnerable for the first 20 minutes against South Africa and their scrum was creaking. And I think that's an area Ireland will attack. And for that mm. reason, while the starting props and Kilcoyne aren't, aren't us, are no surprise and really neither is Porter, I think, we've, I think we should have gone with Ryan just to squeeze home that advantage. Other than that... Fairly standard selection, I think. As we discussed on the members podcast earlier this week as well, Nigel Owen's not exactly trigger happy when it comes to blowing the whistle at scrum time. But Murray, to take it back maybe to Peter Romani's selection to begin with, uh, and that would mean that obviously Tygburn and Reese Ruddock are on the bench. And we're probably even a little bit surprised that Ruddock is on the bench. But um, based on what Andy was saying there, and it has been discussed as well, that the perception is Omani has been playing a little bit under par for some time. Um, then you look at Joe Schmidt's comments and again, it's what Andy alluded to, that loyalty, uh, talking about some of the big moments he's produced in the past. And a direct quote of, of Schmidt's was, he has been a bit of a big moments player for us. Maybe not as many moments, but the big moments they count. So uh, talk about lighting a fire under a guy's ass ahead of a quarterfinal. Yeah, you summed up very well there. Absolutely. That's what he's expecting. He's expecting those big moments. Um, he knows he's not going to have the top carrier tackle count. Mentioned that their like phase structure means he often ends up slightly wider than, than other carriers. Um, but he he's backed him to deliver some of those big moments. He's his vice captain. As you mentioned, you you summed it up pretty well there. He's, he's done it in big games for Ireland before. And that's certainly what he's expecting from him, from Rob Carney at fullback as well, having resisted any temptation to, to throw Jordan Larmer into that mix. Um, he's gone for the settled, experienced combinations that he has so much faith in. Um, and that, from their point of view, is a real strength coming into this game, that they have experience, they have guys who've achieved a lot of history for Ireland in, in the last couple of years, who've beaten the All Blacks, obviously. 12 of this twelve of this 15 started the game in November, um, and seven of them also started the game in, in 2016. I think there are nine players in the All Black squad who haven't actually beaten Ireland, um, albeit in a very small sample base. Um, so... They feel that's a strength for them, absolutely. You look at Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton starting together for the 56th time for Ireland. That's a new record. They move one past Peter Stringer and Ron O'Gara. I think they're only behind Gregan and Larkham now in the world. Um, that front row is so settled and and definitely is going to go after that scrum. Totally agree. You, you think about what they did in November even to the All Blacks and to Argentina, absolutely savaging them. And that'll be a, a big focus for them. Yeah, the, the, generally across, across the team, it's, it's, a, it's what you would expect. And I think I can understand all the selections. Porter maybe... Set piece wise, 
I mean, he's a big, powerful guy and he'll feel he can go and do some damage there. But like what he adds in terms of his dynamism and the tackle and carry, his jackaling ability is, is up there as one of the best in the team as well. And I think him and Kukoin have added massive impact off the bench for Ireland around the pitch. Um, and that makes sense to me. Ty Byrne can change a game for you with his skill set and, and Reese Ruddock's physicality and his energy and his hunger are, are, are likely to make an impact as well. Larmer and Carberry, like they are attacking skill set and, and armory is really exciting if Ireland do need to go maybe chasing a game. So all in all to me, I can completely understand where he's gone with the 23 and he's essentially stayed true to type. This is how, how he selects. He, he, he believes in the players who've, who've done a good job for him and we can't forget. We always have a recency bias and go, this guy played well against Russia, this guy played well against Samoa, but the, t the team he's picked, they've played well against the All Blacks, they've played well in a series down in Australia, they've beaten big teams on big occasions and he's expecting more of the same. Are you expecting more of the same, Andy? Um, yeah, I, I I just wanted to labour at the point there. Marie had, had mentioned about um, Porter. I know he's a young, promising guy. I think he could be a brilliant loose head. Um, but I'm, I, I suppose my angle is it, the All Blacks have arguably one to two weaknesses max, if that. And not, you know, it's it's a borderline weakness in the scrum. But <clears throat> looking at where we could, where we're going to go after them, we're not going to throw the ball around. We're going to be tight. I think we we've we should have capitalised on the fact that they say they didn't pick uh, Franks. They're coming in with okay, w Moody is reasonably experienced. The other three props aren't that experienced in their squad. And if we could, um, you know, do you want your reserve? tight head to be good around the field at jackals and things like that or do you want him to just come in and choke the life out of the scrum and my, in, in my opinion you know we don't need to rely on our reserve tight head to be dynamic around the field it's not going to be the decisive factor in, in taking on an incredibly strong all black side where most of their players are good at that anyway if they have one weakness and we've one obvious strength we should we should go after it. So I, that's where I, I suppose the angle I'm coming at is that Ryan is a far more experienced and better tight head scrummaging prop. He's probably not as dynamic around the field and he's not as good in, in terms of speed and dynamism. But do you want that from your tight head? It's like, a, you know, do you want a scrum half who can't pass all that well? Not particularly who's good at all the other things. So um, I think there's a there's just a, a potentially a trick missed in that. But that's been... That's been on the cards. It's not like, you you know, he was looking to pick Ryan. He brought him over, but he seems to favour um, Porter. And obviously you've Greg Feek there, who's who's the scrummaging expert. And, the, you know, I'm sure they've considered all these things. To me, that's just a, a surprise. Um, in terms of overall, more the same. Yeah, I, I think we're going to try and choke, choke the life out of the All Blacks in, in general play. I think we need to, we need to stay scoreline as close to them as, as possible, humanly possible for as long as possible. If we give them a seven to 10 point lead, I think it's all over. Like that literally, it'll be gone within 10 minutes if they get a, a good lead. I can't see us clawing our way back. I think we need to nudge and nerdle and three point and six point, squeeze them out of scrum, driven mall, couple of high balls in behind Seve Reese, you know, smart cup, cup match rugby. Um, but not moving the ball around. And, and um, I spoke to a, a former colleague of mine, player Ben Willis, who was an Auckland Blues scrum half and played up in Leinster for a couple of seasons. And I was over in Harlequins with him. And um, 
he, you know, but there, there's doubtless there's concern in in New Zealand about playing But he, he thinks one one area where teams have missed out in general against the All Blacks is to vary their defence. Most teams are either playing a rush defence or generally trying to play a rush defence and choke them, like South Africa certainly did. But they're smart enough to counter that, like they did against South Africa. They found a way to beat it. Most of these sides in are well able to switch defensive systems, for example. Like if there's a call 13 minutes in, we've done a rush defence, let's switch to an, a man-out drift defence and start to put doubt in their mind of how to beat, you know, teams are going in with one system only, committing to it, um, choking them for 20 minutes and then the All Blacks find a way to beat it because they're brilliantly creative and skillful. And his suggestion, which I thought was very clever, I don't think we'll do it, maybe we will, is change up our defensive system, you know, after 20 minutes and then maybe change it back for the last 20 or, you know, horses for courses, defensive systems as opposed to this is our system and we stick with it for 80 minutes. So I do think that's a smart way to approach a team that seems to always find an answer in attack. At least they've more, you're posing them more questions, you know. Yeah, it's probably unlikely, as Andy says, that Andy Farrell will, um, I suppose, apply that kind of versatility to Ireland's defence on Saturday morning, Murray. But how feasible would it be for a team to do that against uh, an outfit as, um, well, incredibly good, essentially, as the All Blacks? Yeah, I guess you're always trying to have a an element of that, really. And, and it will be important, particularly for individuals, and, and you look most specifically at the wingers, to have a bit of autonomy in their decision-making because obviously there's a, a major threat with the Kiwis' wide attack. Their passing, catch-pass draw skills are world-leading and, and they're all capable of doing that, whether it's a prop or a, or a back. They're really good at, at straightening up, fixing, running on inside shoulders and, and putting the ball into that space on the edge, having preserved it. But also they're really good a kicking into space that if you're got if you're gonna have your wings really high and, and Ireland are looking to rush every single time and, and get up high early, then they'll kick over you. You saw that with the box. It's a good point from from Andy. They're they're well able to adapt. The box kind of suffocate them for twenty minutes in the first game and then they find their their little outlet. And even on a turnover transition play after George Bridge wins back uh, the box kick they used that little kick pass and, and even still the box went really hard in that. They didn't have numbers to to really rush aggressively. They possibly should have sat off a little bit and, and taken a bit of damage but preserve uh, preserve themselves without a massive line break and, and they just kept going up aggressively. Um, I think it was Matt Pimpy up on the left edge. So again, Ireland will learn from that. I suppose Keith Earls is excellent at doing that. He's really good at reading cues in in opposition kickers, Stockdale has obviously had to learn that very quickly and, and obviously it's not coming as intuitively to him because he's not as experienced. So a big challenge for him, as well as with, with Rob Carney in behind and communicating with those two guys and, and making sure that they stay connected so that if one of them is going to go and, and, and work up pretty hard that, that Carney's covering in behind. He's good at doing that in fairness to him, but it really is an all-court threat from the All Blacks. There's not just one way for them to, 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 to attack you they can be very direct and people probably overlook the quality of their ball carry and, and they can maul and they can play a tighter game if they have to. We saw that against the Lions on that series when Andy Farrell's line speed was was really uh, suffocating them. They went extremely narrow, played off nine and, and did so with a lot of punch. Um, so they have, they have more than one string to their bow. And, and I think as much as the system, it's about individuals understanding that. You look at Gary Rungos, he's a guy who's very good at that. He, he obviously wants to get line speed because that's what his, his defence coach is demanding, but he's more than capable of making decisions just to ease off and go into that jockey or drift mode just to, to make sure that 
someone on his inside can get reconnected again. So I think there'll be 80 plus minutes of that 110% concentration needed in defence. And if you make one bad decision, they score. That's how that's how lethal they are. If you turn over ball and then there's a bad def- defensive de- decision on top of that, they're definitely going to score. So it really is as much a, a battle of individual understanding and decision-making within that defensive system, as well as them understanding that there are more than one ways for the All Blacks to attack. Would you go along with what Andy says about if there was to be a seven or 10 point deficit that the game is essentially gone? And we probably saw something similar against the Springboks, to be fair, after all of that sustained South African pressure, two sucker punches and New Zealand, it was like they popped the balloon pretty much in in terms of what South Africa were trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about it on our on our members' podcasts probably all, all this week. We, we know the Formula Ireland are going to bring. There are obviously going to be wrinkles that we haven't seen in terms of set-piece plays, but they're not going to... Listen, I'll, I'll, be, I'll happily eat my words if they do, but they're not going to co- roll out a, a brand new game plan and, and shock everyone with the way they play. It's going to be suffocating. It's going to be squeezing the All Blacks. It's going to be frustrating them, making them impatient. It's going to be dominating possession and trying to have a really low error count, count not give away penalties to give them ins it, into the game, not give them those broken up situations where they thrive so much and that's that's the real strength of them compared to other teams it's going to be about Ireland dominating the possession going through phases grinding the scrum the maul as well squeezing them if they can because that that has improved in in that area the kick pressure against two like relatively inexperienced wings and I don't want to write off Severice or George Bridge they are sensational attacking players and I think it's a really ballsy decision that Hansen has made to really back them in this World Cup when he's got Guys like Rico Ioanni and, and Ben Smith, albeit Ioanni's had really poor form, but you can imagine with other coaches that they would stick, as we've mentioned, with other coaches, they stick with the guys who have achieved for in the past. Hansen's gone for something different, but again, you look to those potential chinks and, and Ireland have been good at that in the past. You think of Chicago 2016, that win was based on exploiting the absence of their, their second row, essentially. Jerome Kano ended up in the second row and that was really an invitation for Ireland. You, you think of how important the more was scoring the first try, obviously, and, and laying the foundation for a couple of others. They really went to town on that weakness and, and they fully exploited it. That's what Schmidt's good at and you would expect them to, or, or, or they will hope to do something similar in this game. And I, I think the formula for Ireland is, is clear. I think it has been effective for them in the past. The worry, obviously, is that in 2019, it hasn't it hasn't been as effective because they've been uncharacteristic in giving up errors. They've had a lot of turnovers conceded. They've given up a couple of penalties at crucial times. And then their accuracy with their handling and passing hasn't been good enough. So they have been you know, guilty of not being able to, to completely dominate teams with their possession-based game. That ac- accuracy of handling has to be really good. There were even a couple against Samoa which is which is a concern obviously for Schmidt you, you saw a couple of really stray passes costing them dearly with a, a red card obviously and, and a conceded try so they've got to be unbelievably accurate with that um, in what will be just that that plan to suffocate mm, George Bridge and Sevier Reese name check there we haven't really discussed the rest of the All Blacks team probably the most interesting combination or selection from Steve Hansen is uh 12 and 13, uh, Leonard Brown and Jack Goodhue in midfield. What do you make of them, Andy, as a combination and as individual players? Um, I think um, both excellent. I, in terms of all black history, you know, the uh, Frank Bunce, Walter Little, 
Um, for those old enough, it was uh, Joe Stanley and Schuster in the late 80s. They've always had had brilliant combinations. Conrad Smith, Ma Nanu, um, which are almost the fulcrum of a lot of the All Blacks teams. And they're instantly recognisable. They're the first two names on the team sheet. This isn't the case. Um, these are two excellent players. But they're not a... They're probably not a legendary combination based on All Blacks history. Um, I don't think that means they're any kind of a weakness, to be honest. I still think they're perfectly able to to perform at a very high level. But they're probably, if you look even at their last two World Cup winning sides, the, these two haven't established themselves yet as the the um, the shoe-ins that the previous combinations were. Um for for me, I think the Murray said it. The two most interesting selections are the wingers. Um, if you if you look at the All Blacks, are everyone in the world at this stage knows what we're going to do in the match, um, and we're going to launch balls in the air. We're gonna we're gonna get Murray box kick, and Sexton's going to put up bombs. There'll be cross field kicks to to not include someone like Ben Smith. Even in the match day twenty three, even in the match day twenty three, just it shows how I suppose they're they're at we're at entirely opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of our relationship with risk, Irish management and New Zealand management. You know, you've got a guy like Hansen who knows there's a there's a there's a barrage coming. You know, these guys are just going to be under um, there'll be aerial warfare and. I suppose the easy thing or the lazy thing is, is you know, the, the Fijians, the Samoans, the, the Tongans, the New Zealanders who've played in the back three, who were brilliant, elusive runners, never like the ball put in behind them or don't like the ball in the air. And they're typecast to to an extent on that. But um, I think there's 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 merit in that. They're, they're not always that comfortable when the ball is bouncing and, you know, they have to, are they quick on the on the retrieval and the turn and then the decision-making? Similarly, how, how good at a kicking game would they have? You compare that to a Ben Smith, who's more like, has become, I suppose, over time, more like a Rob Carney figure, that he's, he does the right things all the time. He was explosive. He was... Um, a brilliant uh, broken field runner. Now he's the guy that that does all the right things at the right time with huge experience, and they've just not included him in the twenty three. So I think that's really interesting that they've they've. I don't even know if it's foolhardy or courageous that they've just ignored that he can do that because we we are doubtlessly coming after those things, and they've just said right, give us your best shot. But they're obviously back in the fact that they're going to hold possession for long periods and they're going to use their skill set to outflank us, to go through us and to find a way to beat our um, our top three kind of attempts, you know. So um, that those to me are the big interesting selections, more so probably than the two, than the two lads in the centre. You described it as ballsy, Murray, to select Bridge and Reese. Uh, how likely is it that Ireland actually can expose them? Um, I suppose I'm kind of asking to be a Nostradamus a little bit, but would you see it as a legitimate opportunity for Ireland or are these guys good enough really that it may not be a massive factor or a, a massive disadvantage for New Zealand? Yeah, 
Yeah, well, they are excellent, excellent players. We should mention that. George Bridge, to be fair, really good skills in the air, really good defender, an excellent rugby player all round, and probably was under the radar for too long before getting his chance with the All Blacks. So I think they thought he was a bit small, but he punches well above his weight. I know he's put on a couple of kg as well. And Severis as well, like his, I don't think his individual skill in terms of getting up off the ground and catching is poor, but he's obviously extremely raw still. It's, it's not long ago that he was only playing Mitre 10 Cup rugby and obviously exploded this year in Super Rugby with the Crusaders. Interesting enough, was chatting, was at an All Blacks press, sorry, earlier in the competition, he said Ron O'Gara played a really big part in him, helping him understand defensive positioning, etc. And that, and that would be the thing you're trying to exploit as much as actual aerial contests one-on-one. It would be are you in the right position at the right time? If we get a snap opportunity to kick into space, is he going to cover deep back? Is he going to is he going to drop out of the front line rather and, and cover that space? So, I guess that's the way you test him. I don't I don't know if it's going to end up being a weakness, but it's definitely going to be part of Ireland's plan. It is just a really interesting All Blacks team now that you're coming up to face it. Like, let's underline it. <laughs> there is ridiculous level of quality in this. You look at Ritalik and Whitelock, even in the second row, they're starting together for the 53rd time together. I think only Backy's both and, and Victor Matfield have started more times. I think they had 60 together. Um, and then obviously Moanga and Barrett, lethal combination at 10 and 15, but kind of probably points to where the All Blacks are. That 10-15 combination is is pretty much brand new, very recent. The back row of, of Kieran Reid, Sam Kane, Artie Savea, they've only played together... I think three times. This will be the fourth start together, which is which is crazy. The centres, this will be their third time starting together. The first was the, the loss to Australia in the rugby championship and, and the second one was against Namibia a couple of weekends ago. So really, that, that pairing hasn't been greatly tested. I, I guess in the Australia match, it, it didn't go perfectly for them. Incredibly good players individually. Leonard Brown's offloading game, his ability to stay up in the tackle is really elite. And, and Jack Goodhue is a superb athlete who picks brilliant lines and works ridiculously hard off the ball as well. Um, but I think Ireland would have rather faced those two guys than someone like Ryan Crotty, who's just such an intelligent player with massive rugby IQ. He can organise the defence so well. I think they're a better defensive team when he's in, in the starting side. Um, so there are those weird lack of experience within their within a, a several of their combinations. Obviously, even Bowden Bark going to 15 leaves Moong and, and Smith probably still learning about each other a bit. Whereas in the last World Cup, you think of it was just a ridiculous level of of, of kind of proven com- combinations ac- across the board. They still do have a lot of experience. I think it's, what, 1,075 caps for the All Blacks, which is actually more than Ireland, who have 1,058. So they are very experienced, but... Ireland will probably feel, oh, you know, th- this combination isn't as tested as the one in our team. Um, so so that's a, an interesting turnaround, I guess, from from the All Blacks in the last World Cup. It does obviously give you, th- give them rather the, the benefit of all, of all that energy and those two wingers, are, they just typify it. Any opportunity, that, like they're lethal finishers. Both of them have massive pace. And that's the thing about this All Blacks team. The pace levels are off the charts now. Moonga, like whatever about Bowden Barrett, Moonga is as quick as an international wing. He, you saw that in his, I think it was against um, Australia, that turnover. They they put the ball to deck. He picks it up and sprints past everyone. Even guys like Savea and all the forwards, really. As Andy, Andy mentioned, the the front row looking for a bit of mobility with Lau Lala, who's a, a really nice ball player as well. So they're mobile, they're quick, they're superb athletes and they all make good decisions on the ball. It's just a, a, a ceaseless threat. Andy, I'm frightened again. <laughs> Need some soothing merry tones in a minute, but uh, I I think um, well I'll try and I'll try and ease your fears. I think there's 
there's a, there's quite an irony, isn't there, in um, the fact that Sevu Reese, coming out of the mitre ten, probably a bit raw and hugely talented, has has been coached how to be a better defender and tactician and have better game appreciation by Raj because I'm sure when Raj was coaching him there in the Crusaders he probably went I'd have made I would have made dirt to this lad as a 10 he would he would have put the ball in behind him he would have bamboozled him he would have put it up high he'd have chipped it in front of him he would have basically disarmed any of the strengths he'd have had you know you can get inside a winger's head I, I always remember playing a, a game um Bath for Bath against Northampton and Carlos Spencer was playing 10 for Northampton and we had a big tong, uh, winger from T- Tongan Heritage called Celesi Finau and I, I've never seen a winger get deconstructed or, or psychologically deconstructed on a field like it and it wasn't something Spencer was renowned for but he, he started to to name check him at scrum. He was shouting 50 yards saying, this one's coming down on you. And then he was, you know, he was chipping it in front of him. He was going to chip it in front of him next. He put it behind him. Next thing he was putting up bombs. He was he was getting into his brain, you know, five minutes in advance of what he was next going to do until the, our winger at the time that for now got taken off. He was a crumbled mess. But that's the type of thing Roger would have done to Sevu Reese. So I hope he hasn't coached him too well <laughs> for the Crusaders because uh I don't think I think that's it that that type of resilience as a as a winger against what's coming doubtlessly from Sexton, Murray and, and whoever else, Carney, um game appreciation, positional intelligence. I, I don't think you can get coached that in a season. I think that takes time. So I still think he's vulnerable there. Um so yeah, I, I uh, that might help ease your fears a little bit. I, I think they do have a have a have a slight chink in their armor, uh, Reese. Less so Bridge, I think, but but certainly with Reese. And I think I think we'll definitely go after it. And I think that we'll get some um, some mileage out of it. And breathe. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Uh, we need to start moving towards predictions before we do. And we're going to obviously look ahead to the other quarterfinals as well in a moment. Um, are there any other areas in New Zealand's formidable makeup, Murray, that Ireland could exploit that we haven't touched upon yet? Obviously, yourself and Owen Toulon provided a, a masterclass earlier in the week in terms of how Ireland could uh, exploit their defence, essentially. But are there any other little combinations there or... Areas in the field, line-out, for example, is obviously boosted by Brody Retallick's inclusion. Maybe even the fact that Retallick hasn't had a huge amount of game time uh, with the Italy game being cancelled. Am I clutching at straws? Yeah, it's not ideal from their point of view. Definitely, he's only played 30 minutes against Namibia. He's a very fit guy and I'd be surprised if he was a weakness. He's usually outstanding. He's one of the best in the the world. I think line-out time, they'll, they'll be confident they can keep the ball away from the threat that Peter Romani, a uh, fired up Peter Romani is going to post him. He's obviously one of the leading defensive line-out jumpers in the world. I think James Ryan has really improved in that regard, actually. You can see it more and more in each game. He obviously had a steal against Samoa again. He's starting to really read the, the opposition movement particularly well as he gets more experience. So that, again, will be a massive part of Ireland's plan. It's, it's, it's to spoil as much as they can. Being selective, obviously, with their uh, breakdown 
opportunities and, and going for the ball in that area. But again, you think back November and that was big. I think Omani had a couple on uh, on the ground as as Joe Schmidt mentioned today. So that just spoiling the possession as much as possible will be really interesting. One thing for, like Steve Hansen is a great speaker. One interesting bit for, I found in his press conference earlier on, he was asked about Jordy Barrett being selected at 23 rather than, say, Ben Smith, who's obviously proven at this level and, and could even change your, the game for you. He said Jordy Barrett has a long kicking game, like place kicking game. He can hit drop goals, he can hit long penalties. And it was just interesting to me that that was the thinking around how they picked their 23, because as Andy rightly says, their philosophy is, it is attack and and score tries. And, you know, it's obviously you have to be realistic when you come to knock out rugby, and that is what they specialise in. He mentioned the word pressure, I don't know, about 20 times in the presser today. He obviously thinks that that's going to be a, a key factor that the, the All Blacks are capable of and, and experienced with handling severe pressure. Ireland obviously don't have a great record in a in a World Cup and, and they have never won a knockout game in a World Cup. So that is, a, a, in the All Blacks' minds, that's a, a strength. But for me, it was interesting that they're thinking about that on their bench, that, listen, this is going to be an incredibly tight game and we may need Jordy Barrett to come on and smash one over from 55 metres. Obviously, if that ends up being the win winning of the game, it's a masterstroke from, from Hansen. But it just it felt to me like there was a little doubt in his mind. We're going to get dragged into this battle with Ireland. Um, and I think Joe Schmidt will almost take heart from that. I think the line-out um, is, is very interesting for the reason that New Zealand have... I admire them so much in terms of the, how they play and their mindset. And they've, they really like, like in any business or successful team, you can instantly identify what they're trying to do. You can see how they're trying to play and they've, they've managed to get clarity in all parts of their game and they really, really have simplicity. And one of the things they do in the line out, if you were to compare it to, potentially an Irish line-out or a Steve Borthwick Lions or England line-out, which is so strategy-heavy and, and call-heavy. The All Blacks' approach in the last seven, eight years and two World Cups was a bit like, you know, two cowboys out in the Wild West. If you get the turn and the gun off quicker, you win. You know, you kill the, op you kill the opposition cowboy. And uh, but what they've done so relentlessly is they've got a guy they've got the ball in Cody Taylor or Dane Cole's hand and if you watch an All Blacks line out from the time the ball is in the hooker's hand from the ball boy cleaning it to actually being in the air and in, in um, Aaron Smith's hands is way way quicker than everyone else because what they're doing is, is not allowing you time to set um, they, they obviously have a clarity around where it's going and, and a call system but they just get their guy up a millisecond before the opposition. And that's one of their key line-out strategies. So simple. It's like, okay, where a lot of other teams will sit and wait, get set, and then try and use subterfuge and footwork and changing in positions. And, you know, you're picking out one of 14 different options in the hooker's head and the caller and all that. They, I think they've brilliantly simplified the line-out. Now, you're damn sure Ireland know that. And I was I was really heartened to see Keane Healy or hear Keane Healy mention it in, in his press conference. He said timing is a big thing in their line out and how early, you know, so I hope we see lads down tying their shoelaces. I hope we see lads walking across, you know, the front, you know, pretending they're not sure what position the ref resetting, 
opening out the gap, all this, like if we do all of that stuff, simply just to d- delay the the starting point of their line out, that could be enough to just throw them off kilter because they don't have any more complex assistant than anyone else in the world. But what they've done really cleverly is they've just initiated it ahead before you get set. So simple stuff like that can be a really good way for us to just keep our foot on their necks, to keep annoying them and just annoying them and annoying them that they don't get into their flow. Um, so yeah, one of the one of the big things I heard during the week was Healy talking about that. And I, I think that, that'll get into their heads. Um, the other, the, the Hanson side of things, I think they've really focused on this, uh, their psychological sports psychology coach, Gilbert Anoka, who's been involved in their last two World Cup wins, that they pride themselves on on absorbing extreme pressure and then still being able to think with clarity and down so far as each player has got their own individual cue, something like I had heard it was something for Kieran Reid, it was literally to bend down his ties, laces. For one of the other players, it was to pick out four corners of the stadium, look up into the crowd. But whatever those strategies were, it was to try and reduce their heart rate, start doing breathing exercises and say, right, what is the right decision right now in this situation? Which is an incredible thing to do in any sport. Um, You know, you look at Roger Federer and he never looks like he has a furrowed brow. He's able to think clearly and there's a lot of the All Blacks have that. So I think that, that inclusion of Geordie Barrett, if they need a 55 metre kick, if they our understanding we're going to drive them extremely close. They're also thinking we can counter that by by absorbing extreme pressure and still thinking with clarity in the clutch moments in the last five to ten minutes, as they did in, in 2013 when they scored four minutes into injury time and broke all our hearts. So they've got that as, as part of their, their repertoire. But, but I think, you know, go after the scrum, and certainly delay tactics, complete cynicism I hope to see in terms of their line out and just getting in, in their, uh, getting in, interrupting their flow those type of things I think are hugely important Do you think we'll see those type of things Murray it's time to start making a call as to how you see the game going and we'll get on to the other quarterfinals then Yeah I think that's exactly what we'll see Um, and I think it could be a very effective formula in this pressurised game the All Blacks are under pressure too they're the 12 point favourites I suppose to sum it all up we've discussed it my expectation is that Ireland will beat that spread the 12 point spread I think they're if they're ahead at halftime, I'm going to say they'll win the game. If they're ahead and leading, and then that doubt is in the All Blacks' mind, um, I think they'll win. If they're chasing from, from halftime onwards, then they're in trouble. So if, if the formula goes well, they get in, in front and start to squeeze the All Blacks, I'm going to go and, and back in Ireland win. Andy? Uh, I have a, I'm battling with my gut instincts this week. I... I um, Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I, I didn't think we stood a chance against the All Blacks, um, no matter what. But when it actually comes down to it and you're in a World Cup quarterfinal, you've beaten them twice, you've players who've won Grand Slam, Six Nations, Heineken Cups, um, lots of experience in terms of just accumulation of caps and then also uh, combinations, you know, combinations throughout the team that are familiar with each other. And... Um, a healthy dose of cynicism in terms of how we stop an all-black side that are probably more creative and positive-minded than us. Um, yeah, I've suddenly started to think we can do a job in them. Um, even though I don't like the style with which we play, 
um, it can be hugely effective in a, in a one-off environment where we draw on the emotional well um, and similarly the, the being the underdog tag unfortunately seems to suit us better um, so um, yeah I could see us nipping it by a point maybe um, I never thought I'd hear myself <laughs> saying it but I am and I'm delighted <laughs> I'd be delighted to to uh, be wrong in the last year and a half about you know I don't think that the way I don't think the way we play is sustainable but who cares if you win, go win a quarter final? I don't know if we could back it up in a semis or a final, but it would be one step further than we've ever gone before. So, um, yeah, maybe a one-pointer. Right, well, before I go off to tie my laces and point out the four corners of the studio, uh, let's look ahead to those other quarterfinals. We'll start with England, Australia. A uh, big blow for George Ford, actually, Andy. Um, nothing included. How do you see that one playing out? And uh, where are the keys to victory for both teams? Um very hard on him. I am, but probably a to me. I think probably the right decision. Um, for Ford hasn't. It's very difficult for Ford because he hasn't quite proved himself at the cold place in international rugby between the last World Cup and a couple of poor Six Nations performances in between. That's still over a four-year period. He's he's been far better than he's been. Poor. Uh, he's grown in experience and confidence. He can run a game well. His place kicking's been excellent. Um, so it's tough on him. But for me, um, one of the key things I, I like about the selection is it includes Henry Slade at 13. So Farrell's, they've all shifted in one. Two Lang, he's gone from 13 to 12. Farrell's gone from 12 to 10. But it frees up. Um, a player like Henry Slade, who I just think is is so classy, um, so capable of of giving something different in attack, um, and and really going to trouble the Aussies all of a sudden. They've seen that selection right. We've suddenly got to worry about a distributor, a strike runner, a kicker, um, you know, a guy who's a brilliant game manager who's oodles of experience at 10 as well and 12 and 13 he's physical so I think it's going to shake up the Australians in terms of what they were expecting I think it's a smart selection very harsh on Ford because because at some point in life you'd like to be given the chance to prove yourself again having made a couple of mistakes and you would have thought it's it's going to happen now but uh, unfortunately yeah he's he's been given the heave ho but uh, for him um the English starting 15 looks exceptionally strong, exceptionally physical. Um, I can't I can't see them losing to that Aussie side. Actually, I think they're going to give them a battering, maybe 10 to 15 points, yeah. Right. Is their exceptional physicality too much then for Australia's reliance on possession and, um, and applying pressure that way then, Murray, to your mind? Yeah, I, I really struggle to see England losing this game. I just don't think the Wallabies have even built into this World Cup well enough to to challenge now in a knockout game. It is fascinating to see that Jordan Patea, who we spoke about on the podcast last week, I think he's 19, I think he's the second youngest player behind George North ever to start a knockout game in the World Cup. He doesn't turn 20 until next March, so it really is an incredible occasion. He's going to be a superstar in the game um, and real nod towards the future that he starts. And, and James O'Connor, who was that redemption story, he's dropped out of the starting team um, 
but they're just there's a there's we speak about combinations earlier on even Will Genia and Christian Liliofano it's the fourth different halfback partnership he's had in this World Cup so it doesn't feel like they've got a settled they've come into the World Cup even with a settled team in their mind and, and a chance for players to to bounce off each other listen there's loads of individual talent in there obviously Pocock and Hooper are going to be a threat to anyone um, and Corribetti and, and Karevi have been in particularly good form I think England are obviously giving a nod to Karevi with their selection in a way because He's going to be a, a big threat, and if George Ford was standing that ten channel, you can you can make you can be sure that Karevi would have been coming hard at him. Farrell, obviously, a very very good defender, um, but I just don't see how the Wallabies are going to construct enough of the opportunities for their attacking skills to to really flourish. They've really mixed the match with the selection, and it doesn't feel like there's a convincing enough team performance in them to overcome that really awesome English physicality. I think England definitely have another. They definitely have another couple of, a couple of steps to take in terms of their quality. They haven't quite hit their their full potential in this World Cup, and I agree with Andy. That selection is is really imposing and intimidating. Billy Vanopola obviously fit, or they they say he's fit, so they're hoping that he'll be able to get back to his peak. And Mako Vanopola is fit now to start as well. So there's just so much quality um, and athletic quality through that team, as well as the the classiness that Andy mentions of guys like Slade and, and Elliot Daly at fullback with his left boot as well. They're well able to mix up their kicking game and those two wingers are, are really rapid as well. Two Alagis <laughs> more than capable of delivering physically. So there's just a there's a whole lot to like about it with a with a punchy bench as well and an ability to slightly change up the game. Really gotta see England winning this one and, and probably quite convincingly for me. Yeah, Andy, we discussed it off air a couple of weeks ago that England were going to have to go on this kind of biblical run, almost mm. unprecedented in terms of the sequence of fixtures they would have faced if they were going to go the whole way, starting with your final two pool games mm. uh, against Argentina and France, where there are kind of historical connotations and personal rivalries. And then you're going into a quarterfinal with either Wales or Australia, who also hate your guts. Yeah. Um, so it would have been almost a World Cup final for at least three of those teams. I wouldn't put Wales in that bracket because they have further aspirations. But just the fact that the France game didn't happen, <laughs> that could be the best thing. Like that could actually be the decisive factor in England winning a World Cup at the end of this. Yeah, I think it was a huge moment from the, the common denominator, like the, the, the consistent thread around England rugby is nobody likes them. And <laughs> everyone, uh, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're, they're so difficult to like. Every from from their um, from their their pre World Cup kind of cinematic whatever that was sam samurai <laughs> the promo movie video. that was made you Jesus. know it's literally like the whole world wants to beat them with a stick um, you know and their history of imperialism and colonialism like they you know they've uh, they've pissed a lot of people off over the last hundreds of years <laughs> historically so um, yeah to come up against uh, the Argies was was tough their their captain named check you know said they were going into war and actually mentioned the Falklands in a, in a press conference at one stage so you were thinking of that i think what what the french game would have done is just give them an, an additional bit of mileage on the clock a few batterings and a few tired bodies i think they'd have beaten them so to take that out of the list of tasks they had to to take on before australia and potentially then wales is huge for them i think um while we they mightn't be the easiest side to like they, they actually, they've incredibly settled uh, combinations. They're, they're really, they've got, really have it all. You know what I mean? They have, they've an incredibly 
good scrummaging pack. They have a brilliant line out. They have two freakishly competitive uh, open sides effectively on either side of, of Billy Von Apollo now. Um, they have a world-class 10. They've got variation and, and uh, unpredictability in that, you know, from 12-13 to Lange and Slade and an electric back three and a cultured left boot and a good defender in daily. Like they, they are the complete package um, and, and a strong bench. I, I actually think Ben Youngs is, is, even though he's hugely experienced, is uh, is not playing altogether well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up not starting um, in favour of, of Willie Hines. But um, you you couldn't, I suppose, well, you probably could grudge them, begrudge them a World Cup, but if they do go and beat... Uh, the Argentinians get a bit of luck having bypassed the French, beat Australia, potentially Wales, and then an, an All Blacks, Ireland, whoever, South Africa. You know, you can't really begrudge aside that. That's that's earning your stripes and winning it f- fair and square. Um, for me, I actually think they're probably, I, I did tip them before the World Cup. I think they're probably still marginal favourites in my mind to win the whole thing. Interesting. We will look then at Wales and France, two of the aforementioned teams. Are you expecting Wales to just bludgeon their way over the line here, Murray, or could that little bit of French uh, sprinkling of magic come to fruition in this one? Yeah, Wales obviously have some bludgeoning strengths, but as we discussed after the Australia game, they won that, that, that particular match would really exciting play as well their kick return attack and, and some of the attacking shape was really impressive some of the forwards were passing the ball like we hadn't really seen before and that was the big worry about them coming into the World Cup was that the attack which hadn't been outstanding even in their Grand Slam run uh, without Gareth Anscombe that they'd struggle to to create opportunities and um, and score those key tries but that's kind of been put to, to that doubt has been put out of minds a little bit obviously they weren't impressive in their final fixture in the pool but at that stage it was just about getting over the line um, and I think they've shown enough to suggest that on top of that really impressive defensive effort that you always get with a Sean Edward, Edwards team um, some of the brilliant individuals they have and the inspiration of guys like Alan Wynne-Jones and, and Tipperick who has been outstanding um, they've shown that there's enough on top of that to to challenge a team as like France, who tend to get disorganised defensively, and I know there'll be a lot of a lot of chat about which France team is going to turn up. But generally, it, the last what seven eight years, it's tend to be a, a pretty poor French team, albeit with with spurts of of attacking class like they had against Argentina in that first half. And um, really, since then, they haven't delivered that again. Like it was really exciting that first half. You thought, wow these guys are going to be real contenders for the competition if they can continue like this, but it just hasn't happened. What was a, a really cohesive kind of performance and intelligent tactically hasn't really been backed up. Um, and that's why I think Wales will will have the conviction, composure, as well as that bludgeoning ability and a few little um, tweaks to their attacking structure and, and maybe a bit more ambition as well. That's been positive for them to see. They have a lot of uh, guys who are just on a roll of, of winning. You look at Liam Williams, I think I read that he hasn't lost a game this year uh, for club or country. He's just been winning everything around him. Um, and there is that lovely sense of momentum around them as, as well as having a guy like Warren Gatland who, while the French coaches have pissed off all their players and are hated by large proportion of the squad, Gatland, he always manages to r- rally and rile his players up the right way. and they'll definitely feel they're well set for a, a, a little bit of a knockout run now, having had 
um, frustrations under him in World Cups in the past. Obviously, you think of Sam Warburton's red card when when they looked like they were heading uh, in one direction. So, I, I, I again, I, I fancy Wales to win this with a with a bit of room to spare. France probably don't quite know what they're going to do, Andy, going into this game. In which case, how could Wales possibly know what France are going to do <laughs> going into this game? Yeah. Um, is there any way you could see uh, one of those throwback French knockout rugby performances in which they just upset the apple cart, essentially? Uh, ab- yeah, absolutely. You just, you, um, you just, there's no way you can tell because that, you know, um, who was it? I think it was Pickamol. Someone came out and said that, you know, they basically, they've just set up their own leadership committee among the top players effectively to try and ignore the coaching staff. Like it's, it's classic French stuff. Um, that's why I adore them. And um, they make sports so interesting. They, they, they consistently um, turn up at World Cups and cause upset. They absolutely should have won the 2011 World Cup, that World Cup final, like they were the robbery of all robberies down in Auckland um, by the All Blacks. Um, so yeah, they they um, they were nowhere near the second best or best team at that World Cup. So they just have that, you know, mysticism about them. Just, I don't know how they do it. I'm pretty sure they don't know how they do it. And if you look at seven, eight years of form in Six Nations, some of the some of the dross that you see at top 14 level, just garbage, you know, games that are, they're coming, but they do just have this uh, and the romantic in me loves that. And uh, for that reason, I think they might just pluck, pluck it out. I do really like the way Gatland similarly can, you know, much more consistent over time, but it does have a knack um, over the last 20 years of producing teams that then can, peak at the right moment whether it was with the great wasp side or you know even in in the last couple of world cups wales you know they did a job on us they peaked at the right time uh back in 2011 so they they have it in them as well to peak um but yeah for no other reason than uh the mystic magic of the french i i think they could just turn up and surprise everyone with a point win or something that sounds good. We've got a couple of minutes to talk about Japan, South Africa. Obviously, Murray, you spoke at length about Japan's future um, on yesterday's members pod, members.the42.ie, if you want to sign up there for basically daily podcasts during this World Cup. But looking specifically at that quarterfinal and the immediate future, um, how do you see that one going? I think the spread on that one is something like 15 points, which on the face of it seems maybe a little bit generous to South Africa and a little bit unkind to Japan. But then you take into consideration if South Africa's physicality does sort of tell in the end, you could see a couple of garbage time scores or, or just them pulling away a little bit. What are your uh, predictions for that one? Yeah, they certainly have that scoring power on top of their their strength physically. Colby and, and Mampimpi, obviously, really excellent, exciting attacking players. I think... <laughs> Razi Erasmus has set out a stall by naming his team and in particular it's a 6-2 bench split so he's gone with six forwards to come on and continue to batter Japan as as we know the plan is going to be again it's similar to Ireland we understand that they're going to go 
I don't know if a lot of people saw the the pre-World Cup match between these two teams. It was two weeks before the World Cup. South Africa hammered Japan 41-7. Now, obviously, this is a very different matchup because Japan now have this incredible wave of emotion and momentum behind them. And they're obviously fighting for their lives in home World Cup. Everyone was almost expecting them to run out of steam and you thought maybe the Scotland match was going to be that one, but they really impressed and you, you almost have to start stop doubting them in that in that regard and, and feel they are going to be competitive in this game. But I think South Africa's formula is really clear and even some of the selections in the team, you think of um, Mbunambi starting at hooker ahead of Malcolm Marks, who that will really surprise some people. I thought it was going to go this way as well because he's such a good nuts and bolts set-piece hooker. Even the beast, um, Mtamawiria, starting at a loose head, you you weren't sure, quite sure that that was going to happen because Kitsoff has been so good. But again, he's he's a set piece expert and and adds that real muscular strength. Malherbe even at a tight head ahead of Vincent Cock, he's not as mobile a player. Even a, he's a bit of a weakness I feel in defence and open play. And the the Japanese will certainly try and pick him out and target him. But set piece wise, he's Raz, he's got Razi's faith in that regard. Um, and then you look at Dialenda, he's going to be very direct in midfield. Peter Steph Toy and, and Vermeulen and Khaleesi, that is a big, strong back row. Um, and they'll try and outmuscle them. They'll try and really harass their line out and put them under pressure there, not give them those launches to get into the phase play shape and that impressive attack that we've been talking about so much. They'll go to the air and, and look to exploit um, a Japanese back three that ha probably hasn't been targeted enough by other teams, including Ireland, in that regard. Um, so, and then, and then they'll be really direct with their ball carrying. They've got enough carriers to to dominate anyone physically if they can get enough possession. And then, as you mentioned, that 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 finishing power out wide is is really impressive. Plus, some some big units like Snyman to come off the bench. The, there's just so much raw aggression in this squad, and it's going to be really difficult for Japan. But I have to say, I hope. I'd love to see them cause yet another shock. I'd love to see their their attacking ability, even against someone as aggressive and physical as the box, still be able to work. Because as we mentioned again, we've kind of been conditioned to believe that what Japan are doing isn't really going to work against the best teams in the world. You can't really take those risks at the top level. You got to be solid with your possession. You can't push that pass or that offload. So far, they've shown us that, yeah, you can actually do that. And it's going to give you massive reward if you're fit enough to keep doing it to opposition teams. So I'd love to see Japan deliver something similar again. But I guess the my expectation really would be that this, the box will just outmuscle them um, and be able to quell some of those strengths. Andy, very briefly, you've been ruling with your heart throughout this podcast. Can you send us off on a high or? No. Nope. <laughs> No, my head takes over with this one, I'm afraid. I think the selections uh, Murray mentioned that are uh, brilliant and pragmatic uh, by uh, Rossi are like, for example, Marks and Kitschoff not starting because uh, he's gone with two cast iron scrummaging set piece specialists with a view to, to crushing Japan at source. And Japan can try and play that brilliant game we all love the, the the wide and exhilarating offloading rugby was very very hard to get that up and running if your source is crushed and I think that's exactly what they've done I, again that to harp back to the Irish thing I think that's where we've missed out maybe picking not picking John Ryan to, to come in and, and do a job to back up um, Furlong for example I think we should have just gone with Castor and Scrum just trying to choke at a team that plays the similar exhilarating type of rugby um, but that's for another day but 
certainly, I think, a really smart selection by Erasmus. And that alone is a signal of intent. I think that, that they will um, they, they will just physically dom- dominate them and crush them. And unfortunately, I think it's the end of the road for, for a brilliant and heartening Japan effort. But Ireland to beat the All Blacks, yeah? By a point. Yes, yeah, no, I thought we'd finish on a high. Yeah. Murray, thanks a million. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Enjoy the, enjoy the weekend. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. You too. And Andy, thanks a million for coming in. We might see you next week. Uh, Murray and I will be back for the 42 Rugby Weekly Extra, the members pod, tomorrow morning. That's Friday morning. Um, so do tune in then if you can. And we'll speak to you then. And if not, we will catch you on Monday after Saturday's quarterfinal. So if uh, it is to be until Monday, have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. And until then, or until tomorrow, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is coming on! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and it is!